Hello everyone, thank you for your attention. It's time to get you ready for takeoff. We know you have lots of choices, so thanks for choosing American. We're happy to be your airline. Now, if you'll just follow along with me, we'll be on our way. Hey, welcome to Backstage at Brick. I'm your host, BJ Evans. I'm here in the podcast studio at Brick House with my producer, Elizabeth Krasunas. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. We have our new Brick Lab resident artist in the building, Eliza Bent, who is here in the studio with me. Hello, Eliza. Hi. Good to have you with us. <laughs> it's good to be here. I'm laughing because that American Airlines uh, flight attendant has such a sort of vapid voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. It's really nice. It's really nice. So for everyone listening, we do normally start with a song, and we have strategically chosen to start with an in-flight how to stay safe on an airline um, in-flight commercial because the current Brick Lab is called Bonnie's Last Flight, and Eliza, I have been describing it in very few words as a three-part play set on a plane which is from your postcard it's, it's marketing wonderful. copy. Gosh, it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. It is not even the three-minute pitch. It's like the three-second pitch. Yes. <laughs> so it is a piece, as I understand it, that is completely set on a plane. That's right. From beginning to end. Start to finish. And so is the audience the people on the plane? Yeah, the audience becomes the plane full of passengers. And so... Th the actors are like the flight attendants and the co-pilots? Yep, it's the whole flight deck. So we have three flight attendants and then a pilot and a co-pilot. And then also Mark Twain. Tell me a little bit more about that, of how Mark Twain ended up on this flight. Well, I find Mark Twain to be sort of an endlessly fascinating uh, figure, more so uh, with regard to his adages as opposed to his actual body of literature, although he is apparently one of the greats of American literature. I've heard of him. I've heard of him. You know, I've, I read one of the books in high school. and um, But so while I was working on this show, the main flight attendant that we're looking at uh, – uh, is this woman named Jan, and she's on the brink of retirement, and she uh, is about to pursue her next chapter in life as uh, a writer. And it seemed like uh, both in terms of Jan's personality, to be quoting things, to have aphorisms sort of always at the ready and an answer for everything, that felt very connected to Mark Twain's um, uh, vibe. And so Twain kind of invaded the play a little bit. Um, and I always love to play older gentlemen, so <laughs> I, I cast myself. <laughs> so you wrote this play. This is written by Eliza Benz. Yes. And also it sounds like you're performing in it. Unfortunately, As yes. Mark Twain. Yes, yes. No, very fortunately, I'm very excited about it. And is that pretty typical of you, that you star in your own material or write yourself into your plays? Well, yes. Yeah, that's yes. fine. There's no shame. Well, I have a lot of shame about many things. No, it, it just makes it <laughs> tricky. You know, it's just it's a it's a big endeavor to then be in your own shows. I've I tried to not be in my own shows, and I found I didn't like going to rehearsal because I would just be sitting in a chair feeling anxious. So when I'm in the show, I get to have fun. Do you ever feel compelled to direct your own work? Mm, maybe a little bit. Have you ever? 
There was a first and last time. Okay. It was a devised project. But it's strange because even though I said, ah, I'm not a director and I won't ever direct again, I find I often think about that as a very exciting and formative kind of artistic experience. It was a devised project uh, made with a company of 16 actors. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And did you have the final say? Sure. I mean, it was very collaboratively created. And, you know, I I wasn't supposed to have directed it, but the director who was going to do it had to bow out at the last minute because she'd gotten like a a well-paying job. And so I was like, I guess I have to direct it. And yeah, I mean, I just uh, ignored all the advice that I got from real directors. Every real director was like, Work with <laughs> that people. seems like a good idea. Right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I took all these meetings of real directors being like, what should I do? I now have to direct this thing. And they were like, work with people you know, work with a small group of people, you know, make it easy on yourself. It's really hard to direct something. And I listened very patiently and I ignored all the advice because I really wanted to have a big party of people. And so um, it ended up being 16. At one point, we were 20, oh and word. then the, the show dwindled down to 16. That so sounds bananas it was to organize really 16 people. very fun <laughs> and a wild process. Yeah. So you are more often a writer yes. and known as a writer. Sure, yes. And have been a writer for a while. Yeah, I think of myself first as a performer. Okay, yeah. okay. But I also I am a, a writer, too. Okay. Yeah. Really both now. All right. And... For Bonnie's Last Flight in particular, how long have you been working on that? Like, let's peel, this is called Backstage at Brick. We try to peel back the curtain a little bit and tell us how long does it take to write or create something like this? Well, for this particular project, I began uh, writing stuff, uh, I would say probably the summer of 2015, just doing little, um, almost like character work. And I would write monologues in the voice of this flight attendant. And then I knew that that wasn't becoming dramatic at any point. Like, it just was very, like, long passages about random things like Snapple iced tea and <laughs> just peculiar. I don't know. It was, like, very rambling. But what was great was that um, talking to some different people, it became clear that that not only did she need her own show, but also that, that I could give her a whole flight deck of other people. And so from there... Um, you know, she was always quoting Twain in these like long passages of almost pre-writing, I call it. And then um, in 2016, I got a residency up at Space on Ryder Farm. And so I worked on the play a lot then. And at that point, I knew that Annie Tip would be helping me create this show. And so a lot of it actually feels uh, written in response to a lot of prompts that Annie gave me. Um, oh, so that terrific. was like my first time writing a piece um, so closely knitted together, knowing who the director would be. And do you find, what do you find helpful about that sort of collaboration of having them so early? Well, it's just been so uh, luxurious to have all of these different ideas. And, you know, I didn't, unlike other plays where I know exactly what I want to write and how I want to write it, this particular play, I was like, I don't think that this is a solo show. I think that this does involve other people. And so it was. it's just been really nice to have someone to always be talking about different ideas with and to see how different iterations of the ideas have grown over the last two and a half years. And talk to me about the what I'm thinking of as the participatory element or maybe you could call it immersive yeah. element. Did you always want to have the audience as the people on the plane or that when did that come about? Oh, sure. I think, you know, 
plays that I've written, I'm very interested in like uh, having the play be a kind of like ritual in a sense. And so like another show of mine called Toilet Fire, the audience becomes um, a congregation of religious participants. And so I like to have, um, I really like exploring that audience uh, performer relationship and having everyone really be in the same um, boat in terms of the or plain as it or, were. Or plain as it were. Or blurch in the case of <laughs> Toilet Fire, which was a, a strange kind of church. Um, yeah. So no, so I always was like, oh, it would be really fun to have the audience be plane passengers. Because then you get to serve in flight snacks, of course. Oh, that sounds fun. Which I was gonna talk to you about in flight snacks, because I might have some goldfish left over <gasps> from another show. Oh maybe we BJ, pass I was them hoping out. I would love that. <laughs> or if you have any, you know, Delta connections to their um <laughs> corporate offices. Any, anyone out there with the Delta, Delta party <laughs> snacks, you heard it here first. Maybe we can get little pretzels. I thought about peanuts for half mm. a second. I was like, wait a second, you can't no. have peanuts in public uh, anymore. Can't do that. No. Oh, <laughs> nope, not not the text I and, thought it was. And so do you anticipate the audience as people on the plane actually starting to engage with the actors? Do you think they will try to actually be in the show? Have you done it before and have you had that experience yet? Well, there's the whole idea with this show is that before, when we do the show show, the idea is that uh, before people enter into the theater space, uh, they'll be crowded in that lobby, getting anxious and sweaty. And the idea is to make an announcement saying that we've unfortunately oversold tonight's flight and we need a few audience volunteers. And from there, perhaps those volunteers would then have little show-stopping moments oh, with the actors. Okay. It might involve a spotlight on them or a V8 juice being spilled onto them. Not really be- being spilled onto them. Or you know, a foam guitar might fly onto their head. That sounds very possible. Yeah. Gentle participation. Gentle participation. And, of course, it has to be a volunteer. We are not going to force people to participate, especially if they don't want their in-flight snacks. They don't have to have them. Yeah. You can refuse a pretzel. Yeah. You could be sound asleep. But I do find that people love to have snacks, and people that hate audience participation are the first to be grabbing for more snacks. <laughs> so everyone will be happy. You can participate if you want to. You can have snacks if you want to. You can do neither. Just don't come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really selling it now. Um, that's on December 6th and 7th that you are not to come, says Eliza. No, no. We love everyone to be on the plane. I know, I know. Um, and so, uh, so you have told me before that you find it really challenging to talk about your own work and to talk about things that you have made. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, about why you find it so challenging. Because it does, because we've just talked about it for like 10 minutes, and it seems like well, you've been BJ, able to Well, BJ, you're a personable person who asks interesting questions. <laughs> when I find myself at like a cocktail party, for example, I get very, I'm also wearing a jacket. I have huge sweat stains under my arms because I get very nervous. <laughs> Should I, I pause and take the jacket off? <laughs> no, I can do that. No, I must keep on my jacket. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's hard to talk about it um, in certain situations. This has been a very pleasant 
checked so far. Okay. <laughs> Great. That could all change. No. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about what you will be working on for these next two weeks. So everyone listening, this is the Brick Lab. This is the two-week residency that culminates in work-in-progress showings. It is not the final piece. It is not meant to be the final piece. We call them work-in-progress showings on purpose. And so, you know, I always tell people to think about the Brick Lab as answering questions about the work that maybe they can't answer elsewhere and like really digging into certain things. So tell us a little bit about what you hope to work on the next two weeks and what you hope to show at the culmination. Yeah, um, well, the thing that's so exciting about being a part of Brick Lab is that we've had other um, opportunities to workshop the show and a lot of that has been very, very text-based. So what's exciting for this iteration is to be in a theater space and to actually be able to um, arrange chairs in a certain fashion, to have television monitors, um, speakers. There's so much design that we now have um, some access to, which is really exciting. So a lot of what we'll be looking at for these next two weeks will involve design dreams that we have for the show, looking at how the video projections interface with the project, and then, of course, also um, thinking more specifically about these participatory moments in the show, when whether that's either uh, the in-flight snack or um, a foam guitar coming out of the overhead compartment. I'm so intrigued by the foam guitar. Is this part, is it in the show? The, does someone have a guitar in well, the plane? No, I don't want you to give no, too much no, away. No, not yet. I mean, really, it's like these ideas get are born and then it's like well we how can we not put that into the into the show so it's kind of a matter of figuring out how how we do this best right now there's a harpsichord player who's actually in fact a celtic harp player apparently a harpsichord is very different from a celtic harp yes yes so, so i've, I've heard. heard so i've been yes. told yes um but there's a big question about the their instrument uh fitting into in the overhead bin ah, yes. and so that seems like probably a good place for a foam guitar to yeah. come flying out and fun fact i've heard this from this may not be true just throwing it out in the mm. world i've just read this before and i have not verified it with actual flight attendants but i have read that flight attendants don't start getting paid until the door closes on the airplane no. yes and that no. yeah yeah, and so all of that beginning mm. part where they're greeting you and saying hi and, like, putting everything up into the bins and everyone's getting salty because nothing fits, that they're on their per diem, but they're not actually starting their, like, pay rate until the door closes. And so that whole time they get to the airport or they're waiting for the flight. Ah. Right, so I've been told wow. that, like, they want to leave just as badly as everyone else does because they're like, yeah, we want to get on the plane and close the door. Heroes. Right? And sheroes of the sky. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Heroes and sheroes. Um so talk to me a little bit about um, just the, I, you know, people are always curious about the path, the trajectory of a show. And like, again, trying to peel back that curtain. You know, you've been working on this for three years. It sounds like you've had some residencies. You have this one. Like, what happens next? What is the lifespan of a show? And where is this one going next? Oh, if you're allowed to say. I, there's It could be top secret. I was sighing more out of despair than anything. Yes, I mean, no, I get that a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, this has been a really, really fun show to work on. And I think um, when I began working on it, I really was of the mindset, like, I'm not going to self-produce this. This is not, this is going to be a show that another entity will create and produce. And I'll get to just be the artist. Um, and 
over time, it became more, more and more clear that that probably wasn't going to happen or that it just sort of involved a kind of patience that evidently I don't have. Um, so I applied to be a part of the New York Theatre Workshop Next Door series, which is a wonderful series, um, but it's very much self-produced. You know, they curate it, which mm -hmm. is wonderful. They're an excellent venue to be at. Um, we're so thrilled to be there. But in terms of paying artists, in terms of paying designers, actors, uh, the set, all of that stuff really does fall to the artist. And because this is sort of a larger in scope project than particularly like my smaller shows that have like one actor or even two actors, um, this just feels like a big leap forward. So in terms of like the future of it, I mean, it's going to happen in February, which I'm very excited about. Great. But we'll all tweet about it. Who knows after that, you yeah. know, maybe Scott Rudin will want to produce it. And wouldn't that be marvelous yeah, so should we call him like yeah. how do we how doesn't does he work? listen to this podcast <laughs> i'm sure of it <laughs> i'll make sure he comes mm. in in december <laughs> um so we will wrap up um putting you on the spot here eliza but uh what would you say if if you had to answer this question because you have to because i'm asking it uh, what would you say is the you know central theme or central question of this piece or what you want audience slash participants to be thinking about or take away with them after they see it? Well, I think the central idea is one, like, can you stage a play on a plane? Like, what happens when you try to stage a play on a plane? And then also, can you kind of encompass somebody's life in 90 minutes or so? This central character of Jan, our main flight attendant, she has lived a very rich and full life, and yet I think she's also someone who struggles with regret. And so really it's kind of an exploration of what it is to retire and what it is to live a really full life and still have regrets about things. One of Mark Twain's aphorisms feels like a um, germane quotation to give, which is, getting older is learning how to live with regret. Hmm. On that very... cheerful note. <laughs> Very pithy. <laughs> he was pithy. He was very pithy. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that's really beautiful. Thank you. Uh, so that is December 6th and 7th here at Brick House in the Artist Studio at 7 p.m. Eliza, the writer, and Annie Tip, the director, they're working on this together with a fabulous team, and they will be showing pieces, excerpts, not the whole thing. They're working on it as a work in progress. We'll do some audience artist feedback dialogue sessions so please come and be part of that process uh, again it's december 6th and 7th at seven o'clock only eight dollars uh, we hope to see you there and then after that uh, believe it or not we oh no wait it's before that we have the knights back in the building doing right. uh, their family show on december 2nd eliza are you familiar with the knights have you ever no they're so extraordinary they've been on the show before they're resident artists here at brick and I think for four years now, they've been resident artists here. They're an orchestral collective based in Brooklyn. They are brothers, Colin and Eric Jacobson, and they have this like expanding group of people. And so they can be really small, really big, and they go travel all over the world. And you know, they're super fancy and amazing and they make brick their home, which is really cool. And so they do these family shows and they'll be back on December 2nd at two o'clock. Very, very family friendly, like legit babies, toddlers, all ages. It's like beautiful world-class music, so parents enjoy it as well because it really is just extraordinary music. And then we kind of have a break until January, and then it's like, you know. It's mayhem. It's mayhem. 
I love love this word, yes. <laughs> the Sapancho Villa will be the first weekend of January. That's a co-presentation with the Prototype Festival, Opera Theater Now. Eliza, are you familiar with the Prototype Festival? Yep. Have you ever seen anything or any nope. opera? Are you an opera fan? It's okay if you're yep. not. Cool. Uh, so you should come see Pancho Villa. <laughs> yep. Do you know about Pancho Villa or heard of him before? The Mexican revolutionary. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, Elizabeth. I'm from Texas, and there's a couple other people at Brick who are from Texas. And when we hear Pancho Villa, we're like, whoa, cool, that's awesome, and show about Pancho Villa. So he's like a household name in Texas. And then uh, some of my friends who maybe aren't from Texas are like, yeah. who? Just I, no idea. Who fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, fun fact, in Texas, we take Texas history in the school. It's required, of course, to uh, graduate high school and I believe we also do it in middle school. So we get like an entire history of Texas and obviously Mexico is a big part of that. And right. we all learn about Pancho Villa. So that's exciting. And then immediately after that, the second weekend of January, Waitlist comes in, written by the Kilbanes and performed by the Kilbanes, a really uh, fun rock band from the West Coast. And that's the co-presentation with Under the Radar. Have you been to any Under the Radar shows before, Eliza? Yes. Anything good? that you remember? Anything that you particularly liked, I should say? My favorite under-the-radar story was when I profiled Mark Russell a number of years ago. Oh, cool! For American Theatre Magazine? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He is a gem. Um, we really enjoy working together. Uh, so that's coming up. Urban Bush Women are in residence again. They'll have a dance class, you know, December 18th, right before we all bounce for the holidays. So really a lot going on in spite of, like, a holiday coming up. Um, we'll have this like little one-week break, and then around right. it is all the stuff. Um, oh, and we'll be announcing Brick Lab. Um, right. The open call for next year will go live again. So tell your friends. We'll announce that very soon. And I find that word of mouth, uh, people who have done the program, are a really, really great way to like get the word out um, for other people who might be interested. So, Eliza, I'll hit you up soon yes. to tell your friends. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's our question of the day, Elizabeth? Well, since the holiday season is officially upon us, I want to get everyone's thoughts about, I guess, how they're feeling about it. Is it too, when do you start celebrating? Is it too early? Um, are you already listening to Christmas music? <laughs> I wanted to see where you guys, where you guys stood on that. Mm, good question, Eliza. Oh. This is a safe space. <laughs> Cone of silence. <laughs> Except for everyone listening. I, I, oh, man. It's just, I, I find holiday music to be great in some settings and then really challenging in others. Like, I went into TJ Maxx the other day, and I was like, what am I doing in here? They're playing music. And I just left in a big old huff. You left. <laughs> I just couldn't deal. <laughs> also, I was like, why am I in TJ Maxx? That I is don't... the operative question, honestly. I mean, why am I not in TJ Maxx? <laughs> Were you is getting the other operative question? <laughs> but is there a TJ Maxx in New in York? In Florida. Ah. Oh, that's right. You're home away from home. My home away from home. So, yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting because I was in the FIDA yesterday as well. Um, I have a workspace down there through LMCC. And it was really interesting to see there's so many, a lot of, Decoration is already up. Mm -hmm. so I guess it happens after Thanksgiving, typically. It's supposed to. 
<laughs> I, why can't we just wait till December 1st? I don't uh, know. I don't know. Thanksgiving did fall early this year. Mm. Next so it helps year, a little Yeah. Bit. Next year it's on like the 28th. Oh, that's good. It was because of just, you know, yeah. calendars and things. But even like CVS had things before. Mm. And I love CVS a lot. Like I have a lot of customer wow. brand loyalty to CVS. That is fascinating. <laughs> I've literally never heard that before. I was among New York State's top 7% of CVS savers in 2017. Stop it. How do you find that out? Wait a second. Because they sent me an email saying, congrats, you are a super saver. I put it in my bio. That's extraordinary. I'm very proud of it. Yes, I'm from really. New England, and I'm very thrifty. That's so. wonderful. Yeah. What uh, I feel like we must have a sidebar about this. I look to forward to it. Okay. Uh, that's truly extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> BJ, what about you? I love the holidays. I love everything about it. I fully acknowledge that the reason they are special is because it only happens once a year. So though I ascribe to the I wish it could be Christmas every day a statement, I know that it can't be because then it's not Christmas. Right. Uh, because it's special. Anyway, but if I could start it like in September, I would. Wow. I just love it presents and fairy lights and and cheesy music and love and it's just what's not to love beautiful trees all my friends houses are beautiful trees and they smell so good and they're so pretty and people are, are eating um, yummy treats and drinking hot cocoa and it's just you know what's not to love well when you put it that way bj now Thank i you. feel like a big old grinch <laughs> what about you elizabeth <laughs> I maybe I'm like someone in the middle. I still think it's a little early. Maybe like in a week or two. Okay. I also haven't found. I'm looking for like a good Christmas playlist, and I've been very oh, dis- I've been very disappointed by the ones okay. on Spotify. I put on like a jazz Christmas yeah. one today, and Michael Bublé started playing, and I was like, oh, you're like God, oh, no. <laughs> You've got to go like old school. I'll send you a few okay. of my playlists. Okay. I've um, curated them over time. Oh. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll help I you with that. I would love it. Yeah. Great. Also, there's a new Monkeys Christmas album, so which I highly recommend. It's really cute. And it has Davy Jones, which they recorded before he passed. And so it is a delightful oh. Christmas album by the Monkeys, if you're a Monkeys fan, which sure. who isn't? Yeah. Eliza, Monkeys fan? Sure. Great. Daydreaming? Is that their song? Daydream Believer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Let's many more, it. but more sidebars. <laughs> we need to have a whole other podcast about the CVS Super Saver and monkeys. So um, we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm vigorously nodding. <laughs> Eliza, thank you for being here. Thanks for having it me. It was really nice to talk to you what and hear more about Bonnie's Last Flight. We're so excited that it's here. We're so excited that you're here. And I cannot wait for the showings next Thursday and Friday, December 6th and 7th. Um, that's all we have time for. This has been Backstage at Brick. I'm your host, BJ Evans. We recorded here live at the podcast studio at Brick House with my guest, Eliza Bent, and producer, Elizabeth Krasunas. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. It's looking to be a great day today in New York, overcast with a chance of rain. So, unless it clears up before we arrive, we'll be missing that famous view of the New York skyline everyone's always telling you about. I'll be talking to you again briefly before we reach our destination. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of your flight. <laughs>